So the sermon I've been expecting to do for the last three weeks uh, has finally arrived. Um, A month before I was born, a new television show came on the air called Father Knows Best. Uh, it was new to as a TV show at that time, and again, a month before I was uh, I was born. So it was in October, in case you're keeping track, October of 1954. Um, I'll save you the math. I'll be 66 this year. Uh, yeah, and so the you know, it used to, it was a radio show. As I was looking up information on this, it was a radio show. It said for five years before moving to television. Uh, Father Knows Best was on TV for six years, and when it went off the air, it was really still a very popular show. They said in what I was reading that it was rated number six out of all of the shows. But the uh, fellow who played the father, uh, that's the guy on the phone in case you couldn't tell, um, Robert Young, he wanted to do more, uh, he wanted to do a broader type of entertainment and television and movie things. And so he was going to be leaving the show. It's hard to have a show called Father Knows Best if Father isn't there. And so uh, that kind of brought that to a screeching halt. It said that the radio version was not the same as the television version in the radio version. And I listened to a little clip from it. It was kind of interesting. Um, it was still, Robert Young was still in there, but he, they had him be a bit uh, more um, surly, if you will. Uh, you know, he would demean his kids and he would... Uh, even call them names, um, you know, and they, the, thing, the article I was reading said that, you know, that was how the producers wanted it, but when it moved to TV, uh, Robert Young wanted it to go another direction. He really wasn't pleased with, with that kind of a picture, so the father figure became more of a, um, a, a sage, more of a comforter, one who gave directions to their family. Uh, in the TV program and, and the radio, he worked for an insurance company. The mother was always a stay-at-home mom, and she took care of things at the house, her and her three children, her husband. Um, in many ways, they were kind of an idealized family, but not one that was seen as out of reach. It was one that was seen as, as attainable, one that all of, you know, that everybody could uh, strive for in their own family. Um, today, I think... Just the title of the show would cause more than just a little bit of a kerfuffle among people. You know, they would just not, uh, I mean, the, the, the whole show there, those who are so easily offended in our society to have a, a show called Father Knows Best, you know, just that title wouldn't even be tolerated today. I can already see, uh, you know, what types of things would be posted online and even in news reports about um, you know the sexist, uh, archaic uh, show that that was that was uh, on. But today, I want us to see um, that Father really does know best. I want us to see that. Now, um, some of you already know where we're going with this, and that's good. Uh, others of you are thinking, "Hmm, you know, I'm not sure what that man's talking about in this society." So let's pray, and we will get into our scripture today. Father, thank you. Thank you that we are not left to our own devices. Man, I've made enough stupid choices on my own, and thank you for the wisdom and direction that you have given me, and that you do give all of us in your word, and people that you've put around me that can help me 
think through things in a much more godly and God-honoring manner. I thank you for them, Lord. I, I, still, I have them around me today, and I need them around me today. I pray that you would help us to learn from your word today, also that we would um, understand your great love and your greatness. Uh, so help those to be revealed more and more to us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 48. The uh, children's video is a bit ahead of us because there's just all oh, so many, only so many uh, kids' videos on uh, Joseph. We've exhausted those. Last week I didn't feel I could, I could make Kent um, look for his own children's video either. Uh, so we just left the one in there we had in place. Uh, but Moses, you know, that, that comes along right after this. And uh, in one sense it's kind of set up. It's been a while since we've been in this, in Genesis. Uh, we were moving right along a little bit faster than the turtle's pace. Uh, but uh, if you recall here what's going on in Genesis, there was a seven-year seven famine. It was well under, it's well underway here in the 48th chapter. A couple years into it, um, uh, Joseph's family came and before him as he was um, the second in charge, well, second in, in command, but the first in charge, really, over all of Egypt of what was going on. Um, Jacob, who is Israel, we sometimes know him as Israel. He's Jacob. This transition is taking place right here. These are the chapters where it's taking place from Jacob or Israel, the individual. When we say Israel, we think of a nation. Israel was the individual. Jacob, in these chapters that we're reading here, and here and on into uh, Exodus is where this transition is taking place to them being a nation. Well, um, Jacob comes to settle in Goshen, fairly isolated from the rest of Egypt, but yet part of that protected land, a protected area, where that family of 70 who came in, the 70 who came into Egypt then, uh, they grow into a into a huge nation of you know probably millions now that 's revealed more in exodus and as you go through the book of exodus that uh, that growth that they had becomes much more apparent here we are just seeing the very beginnings of it. Uh, Joseph continues to serve Pharaoh as the second in command, actually again the one in charge of all egypt he He continues in that in that position uh, even after his family comes in. And as Joseph is working his way through the rest of that famine, what we saw in, uh, you know, back in the earlier the chapters just before this, he, Joseph got all of the money from the people came to buy food until all of their money was gone. And it says then Pharaoh had all the money. It goes on. It says then they began to give their possessions in exchange for grain. And Joseph obtained all of their possessions for Pharaoh's. And then it goes on and says, then they gave their land, you know, here, you know, that's all they had left to trade. So then they traded their land to be able to get food. Uh, and then it says, yet they came back again and they said, hey, Joseph, you, you know, we don't have anything. I mean, you, you have all our money, you have all our possessions, you own all the land now. All we just kind of give you ourselves in service to Pharaoh, you know, as, as slaves. So, that's where that's where it was. All the people themselves, you know, were were Pharaoh's slaves, even. Uh, and at the end of chapter forty-seven, uh, Jacob makes Joseph promise him that he will not bury Jacob in Egypt. Now, what they referred to here comes up in you know chapters forty-eight or uh, forty-nine, fifty, 
where Joseph makes his brother's promise not to bury him, not to leave his bones uh, in Egypt there. But it, uh, first it deals with Jacob. That'll be coming up after this. But uh, follow along, chapter 48, verse 1. It says, Sometime later, Joseph was told, Your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, Your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty, that's El Shaddai, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came, before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Pedan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, Bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children too. We're going to pause there for a minute. Did you catch that verse? Look at what he said. How cool is this? You know, God blessed Jacob beyond what he deserved, even beyond what he had imagined. Look again at verse 11. I never expected to see your face again. I didn't, I never expected to see your face again, Jacob said. And he said, and and, and even beyond that, God has allowed me to see your children too. God had already blessed him beyond what he had imagined. I sure hope that you look at your family as a blessing. I, you know, I, I hope that you do. Now, if there are issues, work them out. And if there's issues, work them out and enjoy your family. Time is short. You know, it, 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 and you know, it's going to be gone before you realize it. One day, one, you know, we always think, well, tomorrow I can do that. Well, one, there's not, one day there's not going to be any more tomorrows. You know, I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm trying to, I'm trying to be realistic with you. You know, one day there's not going to be any more tomorrows. Take, if there's an issue, a problem, take care of it. Take care of it now. Well, Joseph, you know, is told here that Jacob is getting weaker. It's about 17 years that passed between chapter 47 and 48. Uh, we're told Jacob was 130 when he entered Egypt in chapter 47. He was 130 years old. And here, you know, we're told when Jacob passes that he's 147. That comes up, you know, when Jacob passes, he's 140. So 17 years pass here. Now, nobody wants to hear that their father is ill. Uh, Joseph, you know, hears that his, his father's ill and he grabs his sons and he takes them to see their father, Jacob. <clears throat> I remember we were on vacation well in Massanutten. Uh, Kelvin and Jewel allowed us to uh, use a, a, a timeshare they have down there one, one year. And so Jenny and I went out to Massanutten. Our kids were old enough that they stayed home. And we're out there vacationing in Massanutten there. And I, I, it was the end of that week. 
uh, Thursday or so, uh, we got a message. Jenny's dad was ill. Um, and, and actually, more than we knew that he had cancer. And I you know he wasn't doing well. So we packed up our things there in Virginia, and we called the kids, and uh, they packed up their things, and, uh, you know, they took off from here, we took off from there, and we met in Arkansas, uh, you know, to see Jenny's dad. Um, you know, it's just, uh, that, that's one of the things to do. Family's important. You know, family's important, and you begin to rearrange your life, you begin to change things. Now, some families are dysfunctional. I realize that. Some families are dysfunctional and hard to get along with, but here's the deal. You don't have to be. You don't have to be dysfunctional and hard to get along with. They might be, but I'll tell you something. It is never going to get settled unless one of you, at least one of you, begins to then to set aside this dysfunctionality. And begins to, you know, and, and, and stops being hard to get along with. You know, they, they might continue that, but you don't have to be that way. It's a choice, you know, that you can make. Be an example. You should be an example of a life transformed by God. They may not be, and they may or may not know Christ. I don't know, but here's the deal. If you know Christ... You be that example of a life transformed by God. And don't, and don't add to the confusion. Don't add to the dysfunctionality. Don't add to the anger. Don't add to the animosity. Don't add to the dysfunction. You don't have to be that way. I assure you, God did not make a mistake by putting you in the family that you are in. He did not make a mistake with that at all. I would even say you are in the family you are in for at least a twofold purpose. You know, at least one is, you know, to help you, to help mold you into the person God wants you to be. You are part of the, you are in the family you are in because God wants to use them to help mold you into the person that he wants you to be. But also the other side of that is so you can help mold the other members of your family into those people that God wants them to be. Now, let me encourage you to focus on the first one more than the second one. Focus more on your, on, on, you know, what God wants you to learn you know, about yourself and being the person God wants you to be because as you do more of number one, as you do more of, of being molded into the person God wants you to be, you know what's going to happen? You will be molding the other members of your family. They will see a change in you. They will see that you're different. They will see that you are trying to, you know, that you are, are trying to live for God and be God. Be grateful to God for your family. Well, here Jacob was quite ill. He had 17 years together with Joseph after they were being reunited. 17 years, and we think, you know, that's that's pretty cool. Um, but you know what? And we all know this. We've all lived through this. No matter how much time you have with your family, it's never enough. It isn't. It isn't. Uh, 
I'd love for Jenny's dad to know his great-grandchildren. I was thinking this morning, when I was a kid, um, my mom never drove. Uh, she never had, she, she didn't drive, she never learned how to drive. She took driver's ed once and uh, was terrified when a car came and, uh, you know, she could see it miles down the road. And so she, she just never got a, her driver's license, never owned a car. We lived about a half hour away from my grandparents. My grandparents also never drove, never owned a car. They lived in the Pullman area of Chicago. We lived in the south suburbs. It was about a 30-minute drive on the expressway. That's what we called interstates there. It was about a half-hour drive on the expressway to get there. And even though my mom never had a car and never drove, she always made sure we saw my grandparents at least once a week. We would go there, and, and it wasn't a question of if you were going to go. You just went. And I am so glad, so glad we did. You know, my mom was, my mom was the youngest of, of eight, seven surviving kids, but, um, she was the youngest and so I was the youngest of five. Man, there were always cousins there. There was always somebody else there, aunts or uncles or cousins. So I, I not only got to see my grandparents, I got to see my, my cousins, my aunts and uncles and stuff. And, um, I am so glad. I am so glad that we did, you know, to be able to, to, to invest that time, you know, to, to take that time. But I'll tell you, it's no matter how much time you have, it's never enough. I was, uh, it was one of those visits Oh, it was the day my grandfather passed away. I was 12 years old. And, uh, and, you know, a lot of the family was there. And I was thinking today how cool it would be if my grandfather, if my grandfather could have, you know, met Ginny. Our kids. Uh, what prompted that thought was, as I was taking a shower, I was listening to the radio, and you know, it's sponsored by somebody, you know, in memory of so and so, and they had twenty-some uh, grandchildren and seventeen great-grandchildren. I thought, how cool! How cool would that be? And I thought, how cool it would be if my grandfather could have seen, you know, he'd be like 140 or 150 by now, you know, at this point. But, um, you know, that's not a possibility. But it, it's never enough. No matter how much time we have, it's never enough. So let me encourage you, don't waste time arguing about inconsequential things, which is what most of our arguments are about, aren't they? I mean, most of our arguments are really, most of our disagreements are over inconsequential things. Things that don't really matter. Ask yourself, you know, is this really going to matter in 10 years? Is this going to really matter in five years? Ask yourself, is this really going to matter next week? You know, the, 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 the goofy things that we argue about. Quit wasting time being upset over temporary things. And just a quick reminder for you, all of this is temporary. All of this is temporary. 
That doesn't mean unimportant. That doesn't mean unimportant. What it means is it's temporary. It's all going to be left aside. It's all going to be left behind. You know, yes, some families are messed up. There's no, some families are messed up. There's no question about it. What we're reading about here is a messed up family. Jacob, Israel, you know, he grew up in a messed up family. He grew up in a dysfunctional family. One of his grandfathers, Laban, deceived his father, you know, Isaac, and tricked him into marrying the wrong daughter. And then after he married the wrong daughter, then you know, he was allowed to marry the right daughter, but he had to work seven more years. He had to stick around seven more years. You know, he was a little hoodwinked, if you will, you know, that whole thing. Now, his other grandfather, you know, Abraham, Abraham lies about his wife, Sarah, and, and allows her. I, thought, I, was, I was thinking, what? You know, allows her to be taken into the harem of Pharaoh. And then later he lies again and allows Sarah to be taken by King Abimelech. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no way that's going to happen. There is no way I'm going to allow somebody to take my wife like that. That just isn't, you want to talk about dysfunction. Well, and then his father and mother, you know, Jacob's father and mother, well, they had their favorite sons, you know, they had their, their favorite child, kind of like Kent does. You know, they had their, their, they had a, okay, Kent walks into his, into his room, you know, and four of his kids are sitting there. He goes, oh, my three favorite children and the other one. So that's where that came from, just so you know. It's, it's Kent's sense of humor. His kids all understand that. But anyway, you know, so here, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, Isaac and Rebecca, they, they have their, their favorite, their, their favorites, you know, son. Isaac, we're told, uh, favored Esau. He was a man of the field, an outdoorsman, a skilled hunter. A man's man. How's that for a politically incorrect statement for you? I mean, you know, a man's man. Uh, you know, and then Rebecca favored Jacob. Uh, you know, a homebody. You know, we would we might classify him as a mama's boy. And you know, but it got so bad. It got so bad there. All of this going on that Jacob had to run for his life so his brother Esau wouldn't kill him. You know, that's how that's how bad it got. You know, yes, some families are dysfunctional. But look at how God used these to bring about a whole nation of people for himself. The Father knows best. He knows best. Jacob begins to tell Joseph and his sons about his experience with God. Let me encourage you. Tell your family about those times of growth in your relationship with God. They need to know. Your family, your family needs to know your spiritual history. Because your spiritual history is their spiritual heritage. And they need to know that. They need to understand it. They need to know how God has worked. You know, remember, part of why God puts you in your family is to help them come closer to Him. To help them draw closer to Him. To be more what God wants them to be. Tell your family about your relationship with God. Tell them about it. Tell them about what life was like when you ignored God and now that you know that you have a relationship with God. Tell them what the difference is there. Tell them about what God has done in your life. 
the things that he has done, the ways that he has led you and guided you and protected you. Tell him, tell them what God is doing in your life. It's not just a thing of the past, but I am still walking with God. And this is what God is still teaching me. It's still an active relationship. Tell them, tell your family about God and about your times with God, your life with God. Well, here Jacob brings Joseph's sons into his family as sons with all the rights of natural-born sons. What you see going on here in verses uh, 3 through 12, that's an adoption ceremony in their society. That's what you see unfolding. We don't recognize it. In fact, we think, what are you, nuts? He just said about your sons, and then you said, who are these? Who are these? What they're doing is identifying the parties, you know, as they go through their... He points out, you know, this whole adoption ceremony, he points out the need. The need was Rachel died too soon in his mind. Rachel died before she could have all the offspring that that really he kind of felt she should have had. And so he identifies the sons, those born to Joseph. He would take the place of those Rachel was not able to bear. This is what he's doing as, as this is unfolding. And Ephraim and Manasseh, he said, will take the place of his son. They, he took, they took the place of Reuben and Simeon. Reuben and Simeon both sinned to the point of where God, you know, where, where God excluded them. And, and that's what, so Jacob takes them on his knee as his own sons. That's the picture there. He takes them on his knee as his own son. The importance of it will come up in the next chapter, but follow along. Verse 12, we're going to wrap this up. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knee and bowed down with his face to the ground. You see here, this is the completion of that adoption ceremony. Verse 13, and Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. And may they increase greatly on the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, and he was displeased. So he took full hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless... His younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I am about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you, I give one more ridge of land than to your brothers. The ridge I took from the Ammonites with my sword and my bow. Jacob, or Joseph wanted Jacob to bless his sons. He wanted him to bless. So the, bless, the blessing of a father was very important to them. 
And it was very, uh, it was, uh, it was a huge thing. We'd get into that more if we had time, uh, maybe another day. Uh, Joseph had it all set there. Notice he says he had his older son Manasseh on Jacob's right, as was their custom. You know, so that he would receive the the greater blessing as the older son. But Jacob crosses his arms. I love that picture. He crosses his arm as he's reaching out to bless Joseph's sons places his right hand on Ephraim to give him, the younger one, the greater blessing. Now, Joseph tries to move him, but Jacob said, no, no, this is not a mistake. This is not a mistake. The action Jacob took in blessing the younger above the older was against their culture. That wasn't something they did in their culture. It was against tradition. There was no way that was supposed to happen, you know, and it was against Joseph's desire. Joseph wanted it to go the other way. But it was at God's instruction, it was at God's direction. Always follow God. Always follow God over culture, over tradition, even over your own personal preference. Even over your own personal preference. You know, some people have said to me before, you know, well, God wants to, you know, he promised to give us the desires of our heart. Um, so that we should pursue what we want. No, that's a false gospel. When, when uh, the, It's a true statement. God promised to give us the desires of our heart. Here's what we think when we hear that. We think, oh, then God's going to give me whatever I want. I'm not so sure that's what God said. God said, I'm going to give you the desires of your heart. I'm going to clean up your heart into such a, to such a degree and to such a manner that your desires are going to be changed. Your desires are going to be purified. I will give new desires to your heart. This is what I think he's telling us when he says he's going to give us the desires of our heart, that our desires will no longer be for all those sinful things. You say, well, you know, I still have some of those. Okay, so then allow God to continue to transform those desires so that your desires are now his desires. It would be a foolish choice to think that God was going to give you everything you desired. Think of some of the things you desired that now you're really grateful you don't have. You know, like that person you were dating before. Well, we won't go there, but, you know, all of these, all of these other things. You know, God promises, you know, if we, if we follow him, you know, he will implant those desires in our heart. He will give us the desire for his will. He will show us that his will is always is always best. It's always best to follow his way. We will understand more and more that God knows what we should do, that he, he sees the end. We see the moment. We just see the moment. He sees the end. He sees where we're going. We only see where we are, where we are. He can direct us to this glorious end. We get captivated by the moment. We get dazzled by what, what the way we think things should be. And if we follow those dazzling, you know, distractions of the moment, we may end up missing the greater blessing that God has for us. Don't, don't put your own stuff in there in place of the better things God has for you. Well, you know, we don't we don't always understand the events we face. We very often misinterpret the struggles we're in the middle of. You know, we imagine the future according to our understanding. What we see here is over the years and through the struggles, Jacob finally realized the reality 
that we need to learn. The Father truly does know best. The best thing we can do is turn over our rights to him. Turn over our dreams to him. Turn over our desires to him. And allow him to transform us. Because the Father truly does know best. All through, as we've been reading through Genesis, and boy, you'd have to go back quite a way in here. You know, and we saw over and over Jacob's struggles, and he finally here is learning that reality that the Father truly does know best. Don't forget it. You know, don't ignore it. Live it. Trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and truth. And again, I thank you for those people that you brought into my life that helped me see the reality more and more of who you are. I thank you that I still have people in my life that help me see that reality. I thank you for those you brought through sometimes in just a very transient manner. And I may have only seen them for a moment. And I may not even have known their name, but yet you spoke to me through them. Thank you, Lord, that you have transformed many of the desires of my heart. Those that still need to be transformed, Father, I really want to release them to you. I want the desires of my heart to be from you, not from me. You know what's best. You know the best. Guide me toward that. I pray that for each one of us here, Father, that each one of my brothers and sisters would come to know the reality that you know best. And that you will guide them through the struggle just as you did Jacob and just as you have for some of us in the past. And you continue now until we stand before you faultless. But now, Lord, it's with great fault that we come before you wanting you to transform us, to live that reality that you know best. We thank you, commit these to you, and again, open our lives to you in Christ's name. Amen.